It is Sunday night, and we are talking about prophecy. Prophecy is everybody's favorite subject, it appears. They want to know, do you know when Jesus is coming? Yeah, I was talking to God yesterday, and he told me exactly. Well, no, not really. Uh, it's kind of like this guy used to ask me when I had this band. We had a real good band. We thought we was going to go to the top of the world. And he kept asking me, he was a drummer, he said, when are we going to be famous? I'm tired of this. And I told him one day, I said, well, about September the uh, 3rd on uh, 1986. And I just give him a number like that. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I believe there are signs that will show us that we're close. We're talking about prophecy. And there are so many ways to approach this. You can look at the economy. And when you're talking about the economy, you're talking about famine or no famine. And we're in a state of famine throughout the world. Nearly every, if you go online and you look up famine in the world it'll bring up Calcutta, India it'll bring up Bangladesh it'll bring up these nations I noticed that uh, that India just India's about the size of Texas maybe a little larger a little smaller but they just went past China in population They've got over 2 billion people in that real small country. That's a, that's a sign of the end. And the famine in India is so phenomenal. And in Calcutta, you've got a million people laying in the streets in cardboard boxes, starving to death. They're burying the bodies every day, taking them, putting them out on a trash heap outside the city. That goes on in Mexico. I had a guy who used to come here. He's in Mexico City. They've got 10,000. This was back 30 years ago when we first started. He said he traveled for his company. He said he'd go down to Mexico City, and they've got just thousands, just thousands and thousands of cardboard boxes, people living in them in Mexico City. Yeah, just it's there, and people are dying and starving. That's famine. And whenever Pat Robertson says he's going to send Operation Blessing to India and feed those people over there, and if he can take four or five big trailers, uh, that you 18-wheeler trailers full of food, and he's going to go feed India, yeah. Uh, you can't. It's kind of like saying, "I'm going to feed the birds." I've got a, I've got a crumb here in my hand, and there's a hundred thousand birds up there going south. I'm going to throw that in the air and feed the birds. You're not going to do that. Besides that, Pat's trying to overcome God's judgment on people who ignore Him and do not believe in Him. Famine was His first judgment. So you can't go over to India with the people who believe in Hinduism and they believe in Brahma and Vishnu and Shiva 
and those gods and goddesses over there and you're not going to feed them. you got the economy. That is something we study all the time. I looked on the internet recently and I look up once in a while how many starving nations do we have and there are hundreds of them. Most of the world is dying and starving. Most of them are not being fed. We are so, I don't know if you'd call it blessed, because if we were blessed, we'd see the truth. All of this opulence in America, it just blinds our eyes to what's really going on in the world. If you were, if this is the world, United States is only four little over 4% of the world's population, just about like that. And everywhere else, if you can back out 100,000 miles into space and look at the earth and see the starving hordes that be all over the world, that's a sign of the end. We've got all of these, we've got pestilence. These are the judgments of God, pestilence. Go online. Go online and look up Center of Disease Control. That's in Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta. They will tell you that we have got, at breakneck speed, we've got diseases come on the world that we can't even identify them. I had a girl that I, her and her husband, I knew them years ago in real estate. She worked in out here at Vanderbilt and uh, in the labs out there. She said the diseases will come in faster than we can check them out. She said it's unbelievable how fast. Vanderbilt is one of the top research centers in the country, and she ought to know. She said they're coming in at breakneck speed. I've got several books on the diseases of the world. They said they're moving in so fast we can't keep up with them. Just because America's not falling prey to most of them doesn't mean they're not here. Most germs do not die. They go into hibernation. That's just like the Black Plague that they had that killed half the population of Europe. The Black Plague did not die. They, it, came, it, it came up and started rising out in Arizona here just a few years ago. They had a siege of the Black Plague in a section in Arizona out there. All, we have got the Internet that we can go and find out all this information, but most people want to get on the Internet and play games. The amount of information is overwhelming you getting on the Internet. Just go on there and look up disease. Go on there and look up wars. Oh, yeah, by the way, wars. One time I looked up here, I don't know how long ago it was, war. That is sword, famine, pestilence. The wars, I looked up, how many current wars do we have going on in the world? Here back six, eight months ago, it showed more than 50 major wars are going on in the world right now that you're not even familiar with, are you? You're not familiar with that many of the wars. You can go online and look it up, and it'll tell you all these. And we've got, we've got pestilence. We've got the beast ruling the world. 
the beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, then Rome. Rome reorganized in the form of Roman Catholicism, and the beast was the world ruler. And you can find the beast in Daniel, the seventh chapter, and Daniel, the and uh, Revelation, the thirteenth chapter. You can find it other places, but it was Bab people try to say the beast is the uh, Roman Catholic Church. The beast is here in Daniel seven, long before the Roman Catholic Church, when Daniel was in Babylon. The Roman Catholic Church will be a part of the beast. Anything that is ruling the world and ruling the world in lies and not in truth, that's a part of the beast world system. So you got the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. And this is what God said he would bring over and over and over. That is part of prophecy. I approach prophecy in many different ways. I'm standing right here right now, and I don't even know which avenue to go on right now. And I'll pick out one of them in just a second and go, let's go this direction. In fact, I've been talking about the 70 weeks of Daniel. That is one of the best, one of the best places to look at the prophecy of the end of time. I don't see how we could go on much longer. This is not the world that I grew up in in the 1940s. I was born in 39. I was in elementary school in the mid-40s. I went to junior high school in the mid-50s. Went off to college in 59. And this is not the world that I grew up in. Absolutely not. Now, there was sin back then. There was killings and there was murders. Well, we've got people coming out of the woodwork just getting a rifle, getting the top of a building, shooting into crowds and killing 30, 40, 50 people. And then they get shot and here comes another one the next week. We have somebody in these mass murders going on nearly every week in the nation. So like I've said, I, I like watching the ID channel. You can watch murders all day long on the ID channel. It's just unbelievable how many people are killing each other. Think of that. There's one man on the ID channel. His name is uh, Kendra, Detective Kendra. And he was a detective for 23 years in Colorado Springs. And he solved 300 he said 387 murders in Colorado Springs in the 23 years he was on the force. But that's just Colorado Springs, which is not necessarily a large city. How many people do you think were killing each other in Denver? And how many did he not solve? How many do you think die? And I've looked up how many people die a day being murdered in New York City. It's an astronomical amount. Uh, and Nashville's getting pretty bad. Nashville is a small Manhattan is what it's like. You don't want to go down on Broadway. You don't want to go down absolutely not on Jefferson Street at night. You can get knocked in the head, killed, drug off somewhere, and you won't be know what's going on. It's dangerous everywhere. Look at all of the look at all of the all of the terrorist groups. You got Al-Qaeda, 
you got ISIS. ISIS makes Al-Qaeda look like uh, Ned and the First Raider because Al-Qaeda was murderous, but they weren't as bloodthirsty as ISIS. ISIS takes people for no reason and just kills them. Goes in and, and does the most outrageous, murderous acts. And just as sure as we get ISIS corral, somebody else will stand up and start it all over again. The Bible says at the end of time, there's going to be, look over here, and I didn't mean to go here, but I said I'd go somewhere. Look here in Second Timothy. Second Timothy 3. Second Timothy, the third chapter. And the Bible says in verse 13, Evil men and seducers shall wax, that means to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The first part of this chapter is very interesting. The Bible says in the last days. Now we're in the last days right now. The last days didn't start in the last hundred years. The last days here were here in Acts 2 when Peter stood up at Pentecost and said, these tongues, these glossa, these dialects, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that in the last days these miraculous things would happen. They, in the last days this would happen what he's talking about, they were speaking in dialects of the Koine, the Greek language. Then they were extending the gospel to the Gentiles. I'm not going to go into that to a great deal, but for the last 2,000 years, the Gentile spiritual Israel church has been receiving the truth. And at the end of time, the Bible says that the church is going to become apostate. Apostate. What do you mean by that? Well, I don't mean anything. The Bible says that that the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. When it says that, will not come except. Let's go back. I just read this verse to you. Everything is going to get worse and worse and worse. If you think in the future we're going to have a better nation, we're not. You think we're going to have a better world, the Bible says it's not going to happen. Look over here in, in 2 Thessalonians, the, the second chapter. 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. Now the second chapter, I had no idea it was going to go here, just talk till I got to it. The Bible says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word coming is parousia. P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. Parousia means physical arrival. That's the same word when the apostle says in Matthew 24, Lord... And that first verse, or the second, one and two, he goes to them, they show him the temple, 
And he says, there'll be a time when one stone will not be left upon another in the temple. And they said, Lord, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? What's going to be the sign of your parousia, your physical arrival? They're not wanting him to come back temporarily. When are you coming back to stay with us is what they're saying. Well, that would be the end of time. And he says, all these things are going to happen. Many will come in my name saying, I'm Christ, and they'll deceive many. That's going on right now. False teachers. False teachers is what this second chapter of Second Thessalonians is about. The day of the Lord, when it says, look here, in my Bible, what's going to be sign of, sign of thy coming? And I drew a red line back to chapter 1, verse 7, where he says, and to who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. The coming referred to in verse 1 is referring back to verse 7 of the previous chapter. This coming of the Lord, when is this going to be? And then he says, referring back to verse 7, let's read verse 7 and 8 of chapter 1 and to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed apocalypto is the word reveal a-p-o k-a-l-u-p-t-o we get the word apocalypse a-p-o k-a-l-y-p-s-e that is the word revelation the revelation of Jesus Christ it, it's a construction of apo, meaning off with. And kalupto is the word cover. Off with the cover. I've said this many times. The word revelation or revealed would be a synonym for, it would be a synonym for the word truth. Truth and revealed, because truth is the word A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. Aletheia comes from the word lanthano, which means to hide, lie hid, conceal. When the alpha privative is placed in front of a word, when you're looking at your concordance, the alpha privative as a negative particle, when you're looking at a word, when you're looking at the word truth in your concordance, you look up the T and you look up truth alphabetically. You go down the line till you hit to every time it's mentioned, then you come to you'll come to Second Thessalonians. Uh, you'll come to truth whatever verse you're in you'll come to the word truth and it'll say it will say Aletheia and this is the way it'll say it to you from A as a neg part that's the way it'll put it and 
whatever the number of Lanthano is, let's just say 2375. That, that's probably not, I'm sure that's not it, but we'll pretend it is. Just for Lanthano. It'll say from A, the alpha. It has to say as a neg part. As a negative particle. In other words, when you, as a negative particle, when it's placed in front of a word, it negates that word. Alanthano means it's, that's the construction of truth, aletheia. It means not to hide anything. That's the same basic meaning as revealed or revelation. Off with the cover, isn't it? You have to look at meanings of words to understand when they're synonyms. So revealed and truth are basically the same thing. Now, let's get back over here to what we were talking about. Anytime the, the coming of the Lord is mentioned, it will tell you something along these lines in verse 7 of chapter 1. And to who and to you who are troubled with rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed apocalypto the cover taken off from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire that's how he's coming back woo wee when Jesus comes back he's not going to look like some guy in charge he's coming back in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ now when you read this it says you have to be obedient to God doesn't it say that if you're not obedient to God God's going to bring judgment what is our obedience? Does that mean we're not sinners and we never fall? No, that's not what it means. It means, I told Mary last night, we've got to be wrestling with our flesh, wrestling with the truth is. She and I sat down. I started going through how she needs to use the concordance and use these words. I'm going to spend more time with her showing her that. And he says, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of his power. So when he comes back, that's the day that the Bible's talking about. When you see Second Thessalonians 2, I can't even spell. Second Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2. Chapter 2 is not in there. Verse 1 and verse 2, that's not in there. This is one, the subject to the same, moving from chapter 1 to chapter 2. When he says, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming, the coming is referring to his coming in flaming fire in 7 and 8 and 9 of the previous chapter. That's how you have to study. Don't think these are separate chapters or cha separate thoughts. They're not. They're continuing thoughts. So the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, 
nor by letter as from us. We have not written you a letter saying that the day of the Lord is at hand. At hand means it is here. When people said Paul believed that the day of the Lord was real close, he did not. He's saying it's not near because two things have to happen before the Lord will come. And, he's, and he speaks up and says it right here. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day. That day is talking about back to chapter 1, verse 7, 8, and 9. That's what it's talking about. That day shall not come except two things happen. There has to be a falling away first. Apostasis. That is a very interesting word. When you see the prefix apo, when you look up falling away in your concordance, falling away, when you look it up in a concordance, let me just pick this up and see if I can do this real quick. Like. You need to learn how to do this. So I'll look up falling away. F-A-L. I'm so used to using these. I-N-G. F-A-L-L. Falling. Falling. All right. 646. It's 646 here in Concordance. I'm going to run back here to it so you can see how to do this. 646. All right. 646. This is what I want to show you what it's going to say. All right. I'm in the Greek dictionary in the back. 646, and here's what it will say. All right. 646, apostasia. Six, it is a composite of 575. 575, it's telling you that in here. Apo. So it says, comes from 575. It's a construction of 575. When you look at 575, it says oppo. Then it says 646. It says oppo and 2476. The Greek is 686. And it's going to tell you that comes from Stasis. And then you, as you study, you'll find out Stasis has many, many synonyms. Well, not so much synonyms as morphemes. M-O-R-P-H-E-M-E-S. Morpheme is, comes from morph. Morphe means shape. I remember in biology class, Mr. Silverberg taught us the metamorphosis of a grasshopper. I've even got my notebook somewhere at the house. Metamorphosis. 
That's how grasshoppers go through a stage of being shaped. They're shaped. Morphe, morphemes are word shapes. Some of the word shapes of stasis or stao means a stake. Stasis means upright. The man who was said to be standing upright was bearing his staros cross. And staros uh, is the word cross. And S-T-A-U-R-O-O is the word crucify. So apostasis means a removal of everything that stasis is. Removal of uprightness. Removal by a stake or a cross and crucifying self. That's what it means. So at the end of time, this chap this verse says this Christ coming back with eyes as a flame of fire will not come about until there is great apostasis, a removal in the society of daily cross, being upright, and crucifying the flesh. All that's going to be removed at the end of time. We don't have hardly any of that going on in America. And you could put that over here with apostasy. But apostasy in Israel, yes, I'm putting writing things twice in here. Apostasy in Israel, notice this. Apostasy brought out the beast, brought the pestilence, brought the economy, the famine, and brought the war. When Israel set aside God's word, quit living by it, that was their apostasy, wasn't it? They quit doing these things and following God's law. So he says, the name of the law will not come except. There come a falling away first. The falling away in the world is the reason for the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and the beast. Everything, every judgment that came on Israel was because of their falling away from truth. You see that? Everything they did when they went after Baal in the grove was apostasy for 500 years, 500 years under kings. And one thing leads into another. And what did God do because they fell away for 500 years going after Bell in the Grove? What did he do? Bell and Grove and Shemash and Molech and all the gods of Egypt, all the gods of Syria and all the gods of Moab and all the gods of Ammon. What did God do? He sent, he scattered them all over the wor world with a beast and measured out Notice I can't even teach this without moving into this. The reason for apostasy is because people want to be comforted. And they don't. We said it this morning. The reason people don't want to tell their friends the truth about Christmas 
is because they don't like persecution. Isn't that it? People don't like persecution. So what they do is they apostate. They become, they fall away and say, I want to get along with everybody, so I'm not going to tell as much truth. I'm just going to be real nice and be friendly and have a good Christian disposition. That is not Christian. Nice people are not what they appear to be. Have you found that out yet in life? The nicer people are, the less I trust them. It's because I'm old. I've been around a long time. I've worked with real nice, nice real estate agents. I've worked with real nice promoters in the music business. I have sang on stage with real nice stars. And every one of them will cut you down. If they don't have Jesus in their heart, they have no reason to be Christian at all. Have you found that out yet? None. The nicest people in the world, let me put it simple, they will fake you out. I like people to be blunt. I like people once in a while to get angry over something that's just, not over unjust things. I like people to reason things out and get angry over the world being cheated and lied to by the preachers, and they are. So the apostasy brings about, so when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back in flaming fire. When will this be? It will be at the end of time. I believe it will be at the end of the 70 weeks of Daniel. End of 70 weeks so I'm going to have to bring the 70 weeks back in before I do let's go over to well let's not go there yet look back here at the second chapter second that's all. this is one of my favorite chapters on prophecy oh along with 24th chapter of Matthew and the 13th chapter of Mark the 21st chapter of Luke and the list goes on and on, along with the third chapter of Second Timothy, along with the fourth chapter and fifth chapter of First Thessalonians. All those are about the end of time. The 19th chapter of Revelation talks about the fire that Jesus is coming back with. Now, this is all we've got to look forward to at the before the end of time gets here. Look over in Revelation 19. Revelation 19. And it shows Jesus coming back. And he's coming back the same way that Second Thessalonians, the second chapter says. He's coming back. And fire has to do with his coming back. Now, people may not like this, but that's the way he's coming back. Now, look here. In Revelation 19, in verse 11, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And that doesn't mean Christ is literally going to be straddling a white horse. In the time that this was written, every emperor of an empire 
when he led his armies into battle, he rode on a white horse. I don't know how he's coming back. He might come back in a tank. He might come back just in the sky. But the white horse is figurative for a leader and a commander of a great army. That's what it means. So he's coming back as a conqueror. He's not coming back as gentle Jesus, making lowly. He's coming back as a great conqueror. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire. Now that has a reason to it. Now the Bible says he's going to come back in Second Thessalonians 1 and 8. He's coming back in flaming fire. His eyes are a flame of fire here. Why are his eyes a flame of fire? Huh? What? Well, the word is a fire, but there's a reason. Huh? That's right. Look over in Zechariah. In Zechariah. Here's why he's coming back with eyes of flame of fire. Zechariah, the second chapter. I preached on this. Mary remembers me preaching on it. Zechariah. Second chapter. And he there in the second chapter of Zechariah is approximately five twenty BC. Five twenty BC. They were carried into captivity in five eighty six BC, Israel was. By Babylon. Babylon was overthrown in 539 by the Persians. So they're being ruled by the Persians here, and all of the prisoners of Babylon are turned over to the Persians when Cyrus conquers Belshazzar uh, there in the sixth chapter of Daniel. And and in the you got all these other chapters where it's also mentioned. So this is around 520, right here. This is approximately, and they're under Persian rule. And Persia, Persia's ruling the world. And uh, in verse two, well, let's read verse one. I lifted up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Now, he's going to measure. The man has to be an angel of the Lord because he's going to measure the people that's inside the border of the boundary of Israel that's over here in Babylon. He's not going to measure a literal measuring place. He's going to, here's Israel over here. And they have been carried away over to Babylon. God is sending an angel to measure the people that are in Babylon that belong to God.
So he's going to measure a boundary. And what will you call that boundary? What's a common word for boundary in the New Testament Greek? Huh? What'd you say? Horizo. Horizo. Remember, prohorizo. Prohorizo is the word predestinate. It means to predetermine for the boundary those that are in the light. They weren't Babylon, but they were in the light of God if they were believers. Horizo is our word horizon. It means a boundary of light. So he's going to measure. This is the same thing. We're still talking about why he's coming back with eyes of the flame of fire. Now, this is the same thing he's talking about over here in Revelation about coming back with, in, with eyes as a flame of fire. Now look over here in Zechariah. It's the same thing. Notice in Revelation 11, you're going to see a man doing the same thing. When you got something over here in the Old Testament, you'll find it in the New as well. An angel is sent in Revelation 11 and 1, I'm going to come back and forth to Zechariah, the second chapter. Revelation 11, there was given to me a reed like a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, in verse 1 of Revelation 11. Well, John wrote Revelation in 96 A.D., That's believe that's about the time he wrote Revelation. What is the temple of God in 96 A.D.? Huh? I can't hear you. Us. Okay. We're the temple of God because the temple of God was destroyed in 70 A.D. And the temple of God quit having its meaning in 33 A.D., when Jesus was nailed to the cross, all the rituals of the temple were invalidated that the handwriting of ordinances were blotted out, weren't they? They were blotted out. So they didn't count. When John says measure the temple of God, he's being told to measure the temple, which is us, and the altar and them that worship therein. Well, what is the altar of God now? That's our hearts, isn't it? That's the Ark of the Covenant. I don't need to get into the temple and all of the parts of it. But he says, measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship inside the temple of God. Well, there is no temple in 96 AD and there's no literal temple in Zechariah, the second chapter. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the people of God that are inside God's boundary. And he goes on to say in chapter 11 and verse 2, and the court which is outside the temple, leave out. That was the Gentile court. He's merely saying the Gentiles, and that would be Gentiles spiritually, are not in God's temple. They're not spiritual Gentiles. They're literal Gentiles. And that would include any Jews 
that haven't been circumcised of the heart. They would not be a part of the temple of God. Can you see that? But the court which is outside the temple, let me just put this up here. He's saying, when Herod rebuilt the temple, he added something to the temple. That second temple, or some call it the third temple. Herod, this is the temple. It's a real simple temple. It's just a reconstruction of that tabernacle in the wilderness. Herod added, fenced the temple in, put a curtain here, and built the court of the Gentiles here. Gentile court. The Lord is using that as an example. Leave the Gentiles out of the temple of God. Only God's people are in the temple. Only God's people. This was a Herod addition. Herod added. He said, that don't count. As of spiritual Israel. So he said, but the court which is outside the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Gosh, I'm going to have to deal with this. It's going to take me some time to do it. Forty-two months is exactly one half of seven years. That's the same thing as 1260 days is one half of seven years on a on a move this out of the way 1260 days is one half of seven years on a 300, 360 day Jewish calendar. That's also a time times and half the times. That's three and a half years which is half of seven years. What is this half of seven years on a Jewish 360-day calendar? That is the ha one half of the 70th week of Daniel's 70 weeks. I'll get back to that in a minute, but I need to clarify this for you, what all of that means. It has to do with the last week of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And that week is approached in Daniel 9:27. 24 through 27 is the 70 weeks of Daniel. 
people have asked me, why is the 70th week separated? Why do you separate it? I don't separate it. The Bible separates it. Let me show you something. But let me get finish up with this eyes as a flame of fire. Now, if you're going over here in Zechariah, read with me. In Daniel and Zechariah 2, then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said, This angel said to me, To measure Jerusalem. They're in Babylon. Jerusalem is 650 miles away from Zechariah. Or it's, excuse me, 650 miles away from Babylon. And to measure Jerusalem to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. By this time right here, literal Jerusalem had been destroyed and burnt to the ground at this point. This is 520. Jerusalem had been completely destroyed over here in Babylon in 586 B.C. And here they are in 520. So what's he going to measure? The same thing the angel's going to measure over there in the 11th chapter of Revelation. He's going to measure the people. Jerusalem is not just a city. It is a people. Zion is a people. When Zechariah's prophesying, him and Haggai are prophets. Gosh, how can I get to all this? I can't. Huh? Stay on the eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Zechariah, you got to know where these guys are, what they're doing. They're over in Israel. Zechariah and Haggai had a job. Zechariah and Haggai. I'll just call him Zach. And Hag. They had a job. Their job was to tell Israel. Israel had in 538 BC, that's when Israel was given a decree by Cyrus to rebuild the temple of God in the first chapter of Ezra. And also the last, the last chapter, Second Chronicles, thirty-six. The last verses of Second Chronicles thirty-six says that Cyrus gave a decree to rebuild the temple. He overthrew, in that last chapter, it says he also overthrew Babylon. So Persia is ruling at the very end of the 36th chapter of Second Chronicles. And he gives this decree. When you turn your page over in, that, in your Bible, from 36th chapter of Second Chronicles, you flip your page and you're in the book of Ezra. He also, in the first chapter of Ezra, Cyrus, 
He doesn't give two decrees. Ezra gives his version of the decree to rebuild the temple. So it's said once by Cyrus. Ezra tells you about him giving the decree. And the writer of Second Chronicles tells you about Cyrus giving the decree. So it's given to rebuild the temple. And that, that's in 538. They build till 536 B.C. And they get so much flack, they quit building. They quit building until 520. When Zach and Hag come along, this is 16 years of no building the temple. They're doing what, what the king of Persia told them to rebuild what had been destroyed in 586 B.C. They're telling them that. So in 520, there is no temple. You understand what I'm saying? The temple was destroyed in 586 when Babel, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, we call him Neb, when he leveled the temple, pulled out all the stones, and here you've got Zechariah over here in Zechariah, the second chapter, where an angel is coming saying, measure the temple of God, measure Jerusalem. What's that talking about? Measure Jerusalem in 520, and Jerusalem has been leveled over here? How can you measure Jerusalem? You measure the people. The people, aren't we called heavenly Jerusalem, the church? Isn't that what we're called? We're heavenly Jerusalem. Well, the people over there were called Zion also. Zion was a mountain over here in Jerusalem. So, Haggai and Zechariah's job was to tell Israel, Haggai and Zechariah, Haggai and Zach, Haggai prophesied for three months, Zechariah followed on his heels and prophesied for approximately two years, and that is the book of Zechariah. So when they're saying rebuild, telling Jerusalem in the second chapter of Zechariah, whither goest thou? He said to measure Jerusalem. What's he going to measure? There is no literal Jerusalem at that point. He's going to measure the people spiritually. They're inside the Horizon, the boundary of God, to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length of there. That is spiritual language just to show how many people were there or to show the promise of God to his people that are in bondage. Not in bondage, but in captivity. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth and another angel went out to meet him. And he said unto me, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as town without walls. Jerusalem is going to be a spiritual Jerusalem. For the multitude of men and cattle therein. For I said the Lord will be a wall of fire. A wall of fire about me. I have nothing now to fear. The lily of the valley. 
to wallify round about and be the glory in the midst. Toe, ho. That is a cry of woe. Woe! Come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, unto Jerusalem, which is in Babylon. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion. I thought a Zion was a dirt mountain over there in Israel. No, he's talking to the people that are being held captive over in Babylon. He's calling the people of God Jerusalem, and he calls them Zion. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which spoil you. Gosh, whew, that's a hard thing to get hold of. Why did Babylon, and why did Persia spoil or carry Israel away into captivity? Because God caused them to. And he said, you spoiled my people, and I'm going to get you for this. Whoa! Boy, that's hard to get a hold of, isn't it? God says, I'm going to cause Babylon to scatter you, and when they do, I'm going to come up on Babylon and say, what are you doing touching my people? Well, that's the sovereignty of God. When you try to figure out God's sovereignty, don't. Accept it when you read it, right? And then what does he say? I don't think like God. That's right. <laughs> we can't think like God. Then he says, After the glory he hath sent me unto the nations which spoil you, for he that toucheth you, Israel, Zion, Jerusalem, Toucheth the apple of my eye. The word apple is the word babal. It is the word pupil. Whoever touches Israel touches the babal. <coughs> the pupil. The apple of the eye. was the pupil. The apple of the eye. That was an old ancient saying. When one of the kings would go out and parade through the crowd among the Babylonians or among the Assyrians, they would travel in a chariot that have an apple on a little table there, have a basket on a little table, and they would have apples in it. And when they would look out over the crowd, they'd see some of their favorite, their favorite subjects, and they'd pick up an apple, throw it to him. That was the apple of their eye. Well, the apple of his eye is Jerusalem. And he said, if you touch Jerusalem, you're going to punch me in the eye. And when I come back, my eyes will be as a flame of fire. That's what he's talking about. In fact... The eye, I brought this out talking about the eyes of the Lord. When you have, you got the, the eyes of the eye is a wheel inside of a wheel. And when you punch somebody in the eye, that iris bends back and becomes a bow. 
and this is the pupil right here the opening in the eye we are the light that goes into the eye of God I don't want to go into the structure of that right now because I got too many places to go so when he says he's coming back with the eyes as a flame of fire the reason is because he has been punched in the eye when the world touches his church his wife the, Bi the Bible says that the world is going to attack Christ when he comes back how do you attack a man you attack his wife they're not going to go out here on some hill and point missiles towards the sky and say they shoot Jesus out of the sky when he comes back they're going to attack the church that's how they'll attack Christ now let's go back over here let's go back over here to Second Thessalonians I've got to get back to the 42 months in fact let's go there right now let's go back so I can show you some things about the 42 months let me get back over here to Revelation and read a little more of this Revelation 11 and then I'll go back to Daniel all of this goes together I had somebody write me an email say, you got to separate everything in the Old Testament from the New. No, you have to match up everything in the Old Testament with the New. Everything. God doesn't change from one book to the other. When you find, i got to stop and go back and show you one other thing here. Before I go any further. Uh, what? I'm wearing you out. I think your your health is wearing you out. One more thing over here in this is necessary. Back to Zechariah, the fourth chapter. Zechariah, the fourth chapter. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere tonight. I hope you're learning something. I'm going slow. Okay, Zechariah 4. Zechariah sees seven candlesticks. And there's two sticks beside the candlesticks. The Bible says these two, not two sticks, but two olive trees beside the candlesticks. And out of the olive trees empties the oil. The common oil that they used in the old times in the ancient times was olive oil that's what they used to light up the temple and to put into the lamps to put into the if this is the tabernacle this is the veil here's the ark of the covenant and here's the candlesticks this was the official light in the temple to light up the temple you had the table of showbread here and you had the altar of incense here. Well, the oil that they used was olive oil. And always oil is a picture all through the Bible of the Holy Spirit. We're anointed with the Holy Spirit. They're anointed with oil over there. And they fill those lamps with olive oil. And the Bible said you had a candlestick like this. Huh? You should use the little one. That's a little one. But that's not as effective. 
Alright. You had a seven candlesticks like this one. Or the picture. Use the picture. Well, I could. Could use that. Yeah. I keep forgetting I got all this stuff on here. Alright. Here it is. You had... You had two trees standing beside the candlesticks. And this, the two olive trees emptied their oil into the candlesticks. And the Bible says these two trees that emptied themselves into the candlesticks, that they are the anointed of the Lord. And the two that filled up the candlesticks... The two anointed ones, all through the Old Testament, there were two that were anointed that worked around this temple. And that was the priest and the king. And he says that in this fourth chapter. In the fourth chapter of Zechariah, he says, first of all, he says, we remember we said, Christ is coming back with eyes of flame of fire because he's been punched in the eye. What is his eye? He says right here, you see two olive trees standing by the seven candlesticks in the early part of chapter 4. I'm not going to read all of it. And then he says here in verse 10, uh, you have two men present here. You have Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel and Joshua. This is not the Joshua of earlier that came out of the wilderness. Joshua. Zerubbabel is in the lineage, in the lineage of Jesus. When you look up Jesus' lineage in Matthew, the first chapter, but in Israel, they were not allowed to have kings because they had been so rebellious in 520. But Zerubbabel, being in the line of Jesus, and being uh, in the lineage of Judah, he would have been king if Cyrus, or if the Persian kings had allowed them to have kings over here in Israel. Over in Israel. Cyrus is over here in Babylon, and the Persian kings, if they allowed him to have a king over here, Zerubbabel would have been it. And Joshua, in chapters 3 and 4, is the high priest, and he's out of Aaron's lineage, which was a Levite, the third son of Jacob, and Joshua would have been the priest. So when the Bible says that these two these two olive trees that are emptying themselves into the candlesticks, being two olive trees, is talking about the priest and the king is emptying into the candlesticks so there will be light or olive oil inside the candlesticks. And then he says here in verse 10, well, I've got to bring up Zerubbabel.
I got to bring up Joshua. Verse 8 of chapter 3. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest. He is the high priest in 520 B.C. Thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wandered at. For it, behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch, talking about Jesus. And behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. And you see those same seven eyes in the fifth chapter of Revelation. Then you get into chapter 4, and it talks about these two olive trees that are standing beside the candlesticks. First of all, what are the candlesticks? Here in verse 10, we see Zerubbabel in verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the house. His hands also have finished it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet, a measuring line, a plumb line. In the hand of Zerubbabel with the seven candlesticks that these two anointed of God are standing beside. They're two olive trees. You find the same two olive trees in the 11th chapter. The, the two olive trees in the 11th chapter of Revelation are called the two witnesses. Gosh, I can't, don't have time to go there. Which shall run to and fro through the whole earth. Let me read 10 again. For who hath despised the day of small things? And shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven candlesticks. These seven candlesticks are the eyes of the Lord. Well, if they're the eyes of the Lord and he's punched in the eye, what are the seven candlesticks over in Revelation 1 and 20? The seven candlesticks are the seven churches of Asia. So, the seven candlesticks, which are the seven churches, are equal to the eyes of the Lord. This is very figurative language. So when Jesus comes back, he's punched in the eye. He's, the world is trying to stop him by punching his church in the eye. And when you punch somebody in the eye, that the iris of the eye bows back and it becomes a war bow. And the tears begin to flow out of the eye because it's been punched in the eye. If you get punched in the eye, tears come forth. And what will come forth is the judgment of God will come out of his eye when he comes back with eyes of flaming fire or with, the flame, with eyes that are on fire. That's because he's been punched in the eyes. Over here, Zechariah tells us about it. Now, let's read this down here in verse 11. Then answered said, What are these two olive trees? Upon the right side of the candlesticks and upon the left side. The two olive trees. He says over here in Revelation. I didn't mean to go back to this part. But in Revelation 11. I've heard preachers talk about the two candlesticks and so-called scholars. 
I was talking about the two olive trees. So this is Moses and Elijah. The Bible tells you who it is in Zechariah, the fourth chapter. The Bible says in Revelation 11, right after we read this, Revelation 11, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, clothed in sackcloth, a thousand two hundred and three score days, is equal to 42 months in the previous verse. That 1260 days is the same thing as 42 months. So tying together the measuring of the temple has to do with the eyes of the Lord. Because you got the two olive trees here. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy half of seven, and a, seven years on a Jewish calendar. That's what it's actually saying. These are... People want to know, who are the two witnesses? I will give power to my two witnesses. It takes two witnesses to verify anything in Israel, doesn't it? I've got that. We could go through that. I'm not going to go through that. That's over there in the Old Testament. Takes. These are the two olive trees. The two witnesses are the two olive trees. You find them over in Zechariah, don't you? In fact, just hold your place like I'm doing. And back over to Zechariah. And I answered again, said unto him, What are these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves and their olive trees, and they've got olive oil in them? Or they've got the Holy Spirit in them? If the olive oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit, they're emptying the Holy Spirit into the candlesticks, which are the church. Over in Revelation 1, 18, or 1 and 20, right? Are y'all following me? So the two olive trees are in Revelation 11 and Zechariah 4. And they are. Revelation 11 says, These two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth, if any man hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. Oh, what is the fire that comes out of their mouth? Well, look and see who they are over here in Revelation and Zechariah 4. Then answered, Then he answered me. Well, wait a minute. Let me read 12 again. He answered again and said to me, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden or olive oil out of themselves as olive trees into the candlesticks? But the candlesticks are the church. So out of the high priest and the king will come the Holy Spirit empty into us. Won't it? Can you follow me? And he answered me, don't you know who these two olive trees are? And he said, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. To stand before the Lord meant to represent him in the earth. Who are the two that represent him in the earth? The priest and the king. In the Old Testament, those were the two that took care of the tabernacle that represented God over here in the Old Testament. It's the priest and the king. That's the two olive trees. Now, back over here in 
what comes out of their mouth? That's the priest and the king. Well, got to go to Revelation 1, then we'll come back to Revelation 11. Revelation 1. Verse 5, the last sentence. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us, hath made his past tense. He hath made us kings and priests. We're kings, we pronounce righteous judgment. We're priests, we give our bodies a living sacrifice. So we're the priest and the king. Go back over here in verse 5 of chapter 11 of Revelation. If any man will hurt the priest and the king, which is us, fire proceeds out of our mouths. What is the fire that comes out of our mouths? Jeremiah 4 or 5. Jeremiah 5, 14. Here's the fire out of our mouths. 5, 14. Wherefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people Israel will be wood, and I'll consume them. So the priest and the king, fire comes out of our mouth, and what is that? The word of God. In Jeremiah 23, here's what the Bible says about the fire that comes out of our mouth. We're the priest and the king, we're the olive trees, and we have the olive oil in us, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is truth, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says thy word is truth. He says here in, in uh, the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah, verse 29, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? God's word is a fire. And when you see these men in Acts 2, in Acts 2, Bible says the Bible says that there came from heaven a sound of a mushy mighty wind and filled the house where these men were sitting their pit and them cloven tongues like as of fire the tongues there is not like the Pentecostals draw these these tongues of fire over their heads. It's not like that. A tongue of fire appeared upon these men, and what came out of their mouth was the fiery word of God. And that's what these two olive trees over here, I've completely gotten away from prophecy, but it's not getting away from it. I'm still talking about, in this 11th chapter, it's talking about, the 42 months at the end of time God's people will be standing preaching truth like I'm preaching <coughs> what I preach from the pulpit here is a tongue of fire 
It cuts down people. It hurts when you don't when you're not a believer. People cannot sit and listen to this word. It's too hard for them, isn't it? Now, so the tongues of fire and Acts two are the same thing in Jeremiah five fourteen and Jeremiah the twenty third chapter. It's the fiery word of God, and that's the same thing. In the 11th chapter, at the end of time, at the end of the 70th week of Daniel, 70 weeks, there's going to be 42 months, half of seven years, 1260 days, half of seven years, on a 360-day Jewish calendar, and a time times and half a times, three and a half years, out of seven years. And in this chapter, this this is at the end of time. It's, sometimes I teach till it just goes, ties together. In this chapter, you're going to see these two witnesses put to death. Go back to Revelation 11. People try to separate <coughs> Revelation from the rest of the Bible. You can't do that. Revelation is revealed... This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. People think apocalypse means something hazy and fuzzy. And they had this movie out, Apocalypse Now. And it was about Marlon Brando hiding in a cave somewhere over in Vietnam. And this crazy stuff. That's not an apocalypse. Apocalypse means to take the cover off. And let you see what's going on. You cannot see revelation Unless you get the answers out of the Old Testament, can you? You can't. And he says there in the... I'll, before I go back to the 11th chapter, look at Revelation 1, verse 16. Christ is standing in the midst of the seven candlesticks, and he's got seven stars in his right hand. Let me show you what the seven stars actually are. He's standing in the middle of the candlesticks in verse... Mary says, I don't understand that abstractness. This is abstract language. You've got to learn to understand the abstractness of it. Jesus is standing in the midst of the candlesticks, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, verse 11, the first and the last. What thou seest write in a book, and sent it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, and unto Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Chapter 2 and 3 is about a deficiency in each one of these churches. In order to be sevened, seven is the word Sheba in the Hebrew, It's a form of S-H-E-B-U-A-H, which is an oath. When you have been tried in the fire, you've taken an oath to God, but that's not till you've gone through a lot of fire and you've added to your faith in 2 Peter 1 and 5, seven things. You add to your faith, then you become seven and you can take an oath to God. And this word Shabuah 
Sheba is the word seven. And Shabuah means two. In order to take an oath to God, means two seven oneself. By adding these seven things. Now, so you got seven stars in verse 16. He's standing in the midst of the candlesticks. Verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the middle of the seven candlesticks, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. He's been punched in the eye. And his feet like fine brass, and they burned in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters, had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, which is the word of God. And he goes on down here and says in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars that's in my right hand, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven golden candlesticks and the seven stars go together. Because the seven stars are the seven angels of the, let me make this real clear. Seven angels of the seven churches. The seven churches. Angel, of course, is the word angelos, A-G-G-E-L-O-S. So the seven stars are the seven angels or the seven messengers. What's going to come out of the mouth of the messengers? The Word of God. Huh? The Word of God. The Word of God, which is a fire, isn't it? And what's going to make the Word of God come out of the candlesticks? which is the seven churches. It's going to be the olive oil that's inside the candlesticks, isn't it? The olive oil makes the fire. Without the olive oil, it's the Holy Spirit. The olive oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. That's the fire. And at the end of time, it'll happen for 42 months, half of seven years, 1260 days, or time times and half of times. That's the last half of the 70th week of the Daniel's 70 weeks. And notice one other thing here in this chapter. Well, let me read verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars and the seven candlesticks. The seven candlesticks we found out are the eyes of the Lord in Zechariah 4 and 10, didn't we? So if the seven stars, seven candlesticks are the eyes of the Lord, then the seven candlesticks are what they are here, aren't they? The seven candlesticks, the seven stars, which are the seven messengers, the messenger has to be individual candlesticks with olive oil in it or the Holy Spirit in it that flames out and gives us the word of God. Isn't that it? 
because the seven candlesticks are the seven churches, but the seven candlesticks are the eyes of the Lord. So God's punched God, the world has punched God in the eye, punched him in the candlesticks. Now go back over here to Revelation 11. Do you, do you kind of see that? Can y'all see that? I'm running out of time. I'm, I thought I was going to get back to these 42 months, 260 days, time, time, and half time. Maybe I'll get to that next week. Then over here in Revelation 11, when these two, when these two olive trees, two witnesses, finish their testimony during this 1260 days, 42 months, and we're being slaughtered, we'll lay in the streets of the world for three and a half days. That's half of a week, isn't it? You've got the same thing in this chapter in different terminology as 42 months, 260 days, time, time, and half a times. Can I stop you and ask you something? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, they're laying in the street, right? That's us. Yeah, that's when God comes back? Yeah. So he takes us out first or takes the dead out first? Well, we which are alive and remain. We which are alive and remain. Remain means to survive this great slaughter. We'll go no, we won't go first. We'll we'll go with the dead in Christ. These dead are gonna be there's gonna be some that's lying in the streets that are dead. And that don't mean we're literally lying out here in the street. They may have us in a barn or behind a truck or under a car or wherever they lay us, we'll be dead. Let me read the rest of this and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. That's literal Jerusalem. Heavenly Jerusalem is spiritual Jerusalem. That's the church. It's called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord... I'm running out of time. I'm rushing because the light's on back there. Keep going. Just ignore it. All right. And they of the people, kindreds and tongues, nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half. That's half of the 70th week of Daniel's 70 weeks. So when wars crowd against us, the three and a half days will be 1260 days, which is half of seven years. We're talking about spiritual weeks, aren't we? So we're talking about. So he How says, be? huh? Well, it looks like it's going to be 1,260 days, time, times, half a time, 42 months. The church is going to go under attack. They'll be killing us. They're not going to let me say these words in the world. They're not going to act like something evil. They're going to act good when they say, Mr. Brown, they come in the door one day and say, you can't preach this anymore. Here's a cease and desist order. We've made a, a constitutional amendment. And you cannot offend other people in other churches. You can preach your doctrine, but you can't offend them. My doctrine offends them. And then, let me read this because I might run out of time. 
and they of the people in hundreds kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves will be desecrated and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry over the Christians that have died will be a laughing stock and shall send gifts to one another because these two prophets, the two witnesses, the two olive trees, the priest and the king tormented them that dwell on the earth with fire from our mouths. It won't be a literal torment we torment them with. It'll be death to self, daily cross, self-denial, Christmas and pagan predestination. True. And after three days and a half, the last half of the 70 weeks, after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them, and they heard a great voice from heaven saying, Come up hither. This is equivalent to the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. We which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not go before those that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the same thing as the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Well, it don't matter if they kill us. Huh? It don't matter if they right. kill us. If what? If they kill us. It don't, it don't matter if they kill us. That's right. We're going to be better off. We'll resurrect. They can defile our bodies if they want to. That's what the Inquisition did under the Catholic Church to the believers. They defiled them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. The end. That's the three and a half days here is the same thing as 42 months. And I, that's found in Daniel 9.27. When this man of sin, it's not him. He'll cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. The sacrifices are bodies of living sacrifice. That's not talking about in a literal temple. That's talking about in this temple of God. Bread was the was the oblation that was offered with the sacrifice of bread offering. And the bread in the temple of God is us because Christ is in us. You know, I have to get a mental picture of this in my head before I can see it. Well, it's something you accept when you're talking about figurative language. You can't see. All you can do is see the figurative language that were the candlesticks. Were the... We're the priest and the king that's around the temple of God. If you don't take the Old Testament temple and compare us with it, their hearts of the Ark of the Covenant, the law is written on tables of fleshy tables of the heart, is written on tables of stone over here. All of this is equal to us. It just makes it simple, though. You say, hey, you get out here and preach, they're going to kill you. That's right. And God's going to resurrect you, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what the Lord says. And then you just They're going to kill you and go ahead and say truth. You don't have to try to be abrasive and try to cut people down. You can't do anything about it. 
We either stand for truth, and that applies today in our lives. They're going to cut us down and destroy us. They're going to bring a spiritual death on us. Remember, death, thanatos, means separation. They're going to separate from us, and we'll lie in this world in the streets in a sense, dead to them as to whether we're dead is neither here nor there. We which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord. We would survive this great slaughter. We're going to go out and meet the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The answers of Revelation are over here in the Old Testament. I've said this. I love teaching Revelation because all you've got to do is find out what these things mean. The three and a half days is the 42 months, the 1260 literal days. I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to understand your word figuratively. That's the way you wrote it. We're not children of the dark that we should not understand these things. Thank you for truth. Strengthen the church. Strengthen us and make us strong in the faith. We'll give you praise for all things. Fight our battles. We can't fight them. We'll give you praise for all things in Christ's name. Amen. I know that's hard. And you know how many things I skipped? Boy, I was just, I was just taking little thin rocks and going... Because I could have gone dozens of places with this. I didn't even get into the two witnesses. You didn't get into Daniel. Huh? huh? Daniel, you said you were going to get into Daniel. I was going to get back to Daniel. Isn't it amazing how Revelation, Zechariah, and Daniel, and all of this is tied together with Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. When Israel got apostate, those judgment came upon them. And American churches are apostate. I expect these things to multiply over here. So the two witnesses, isn't that the church? Uh, isn't that the church? The two witnesses are the two olive trees. Which is the church. It's the church. I think Where are you going, little guy? Are you going to go up and preach all this? I don't know, actually. Huh? I don't know. He is. Yeah. <laughs> you love Papa? <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love them boys. You want some gum? Yes, please. Huh? Yes, please. You do, I can't hear you. I said yes, please. You go, yes, please. <laughs> Please.